This is episode 111 with Mick Fenton. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Mick Fenning is a three-time world champion surfer and a very down-to-earth Aussie bloke. When I first decided to start creating this podcast in January 2017, I had a list of inspirational legends that I really wanted to get on here to share their value with you guys. And Mick Fenning was one of them, one of the original people I put on the list because I knew that he had experienced a lot of things in life that tested his human behavior and his skill sets and I wanted to hear that from him. I went into this chat with Mick full of energy and excitement as I do with all my interviews. That's my personality. I was then met with Mick's genuine, humble, down-to-earth nature and reminded of his love of the simple things of life and not boasting an ego about any of his achievements or adversities. Mick has had a turbulent life and there's so many places I could have taken this chat but what I really wanted to do was understand his mind a bit more and how he's processed some of his land-based training and those challenges and processed his achievements and his adversities. In this episode we discuss why he started training with performance coach Nam Baldwin and how these skills made him a better athlete and a better person. And you guys have heard from Nam a few times on this podcast. You know he's a close mentor of mine and a wealth of knowledge. So I wanted to hear from Mick how all of this perspired in his life. We also discuss why training the mind is the most important aspect for everyone, not just athletes. How Mick has faced some of his greatest fears, how he's worked through the adversity and loss of loved ones and the strong bond that this has created with he and his mother. We discussed his transition from athlete life into maintaining fulfillment in a quote-unquote normal life. We also talk about why to me uh, he is a master fighter and not a master fighter of sharks for example (laughs) and this will make sense in a couple of minutes when you hear the start of our chat and for those of you who don't know the artist by the name of Kevin Bloody Wilson he's an Australian larrikin with some very appropriately inappropriate Aussie banter material and it just so happens that one of his top hits was about a bloke named Mick. (laughs) A few things we didn't cover were Mick's brewery and his own beer that he and some mates co-own here on the Gold Coast. We didn't cover some of his epic surfing adventures, like what he's done under the Northern Lights, which is 
pretty amazing in itself. We also didn't cover another major incident in Mick's life in 2004 when he was surfing and ripped his hamstring off the bone. And this was before he'd won any world titles. It was dubbed a career-ending injury that Mick worked hard and tirelessly through. You know, this is a facet of Mick's life that he's had to endure numerous times, not necessarily from major injuries, but when faced with major adversities and other challenges. And of course, there's a whole lifetime of other awesomeness and challenging experiences that we didn't get to cover. Now, before we hear from Mick, just a quick reminder, if you're interested in improving your health and well-being, we've got the online program starting soon, How to Transform and Optimize Your Gut Health and Gut-Brain Connection. This is such an important aspect of our health that most people are neglecting and therefore experiencing side effects and issues that they're not even aware of that are linked to the gut health. It's an easy setup for you to follow with an abundance of information and practical advice. Jump on to yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash gut health and check out all the info and claim your place before it's too late. Okay, sitting on the top level of his beautiful home, overlooking what is his happy place, the ocean, which he lives, breathes and loves. Let's hear from the legend himself, Mick Fanning. When people hear Mick, they might think of three times world champion surfer, or they might think about the bloke that got attacked by a great white shark. When I hear Mick, I think of Mick, me mate, the master, father. (laughs) (laughs) Did you cop that a lot when you were growing up? I did, yeah, yeah, all through school, and yeah, brothers, everyone, yeah. (laughs) Bit of Kevin Bloody Wilson there to stir things up. So good, love it. (laughs) No, Mick Fenning, not Mick, me mate, the master, father. Welcome to your life of impact. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Really, you've openly invited me into your beautiful home in amongst your busy schedule. So I'm grateful for that. Oh, good. Mate, we've been connected originally through a mutual friend and close mentor of mine, Nam Baldwin, Mm -hmm. and I want to kick off talking about the work that you've done with him and sort of unpacking what that's done for you and what it means to you. And I want to know from you and your perspective, why did you start working with Nam and then why did you keep going back? What what was it in, in his style of coaching and what you got from it that made it worthwhile? Yeah, look, I guess I guess for me at that that time I was I was at a point in my career where I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. I I had a really hard year, just injuries and just just yeah, just was totally not enjoying what I was doing. So I I needed to change up all my just felt like I needed to change up everything that I was doing at that point and I'd done a couple of things with Nam like a couple of pool sessions or you know just a couple of little things here and there but I just enjoyed his energy and I just I just felt like yeah I just needed as I said I just need to hold different change and we I sort of just hit him up and was like, hey, look, I'm sort of looking for someone new to, to work with and, and get ready for a new season. And we called up and I know I just sort of, he was like super excited as he always is. And just, you know, he's like, oh, I've got a million ideas and this and that. And and so I I was like, okay, let's give it a go. Let's see how we go and sort of 
went on probation, uh, sort of like just went through a month or so. And yeah, I just really enjoyed all the different, I guess, each day was different. Each day was a, a new a new challenge. And to be honest, on my side of it, I'd had a pretty big off season where I just did absolutely nothing and I was fat as hell. So I had to lose five kilos at the start too. So that was, that was fun too. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it within, because I know doing a lot of breathing work obviously helps with the surfing when you do the deep water stuff, but what about the dry land stuff with regulating, using the breath to regulate the mind and the body? Yeah, look, I, I, I think... Before I saw Nam, I'd done a, a bit of breath work with different people. And so I sort of knew what to expect in that realm. And, but yeah, I guess, you know, doing the dry land stuff and then the water stuff, I just sort of, when times where I thought, oh, I'm just totally gassed out, I'd be able to regulate, you know, bring it back down and then be able to just calm myself. And then, you know, somehow figure out that I actually had more energy than what I did. And so I'd be able to push through that a little bit more. And I also like always used breathing as a part of centering for me. That was a big part of my meditation through my career was just breathing and just getting centered, not only like in morning and night. So yes, this, this to do it, I guess, with activity and also, you know, just working out and stuff like that. It just added a whole new level to to what I already had. So it was awesome. What about from an emotional intelligence perspective and being able to link your emotional states or your energetic conditions to how you need to be to, to get ready to perform, I guess. And what I think of a lot is can you tell us what's going through your mind when you would sit in the sand and cross legged and you'd be rubbing your hands together and, and preparing for an event i guess for for me it was that was just a way for me just to get me centered i were if if i didn't do breathing work then i could tell when i wasn't centered i'd be like off you know i'd get frustrated i'd get stressed and and i'd have way too much going on in my head so the breathing for me was just the way of just calming that down and you know when people see me sitting in the sand and whatever for me it was just going through a quick checklist of just making sure that i was ready like what is ready you know i everyone's different in the way they approach it for me i would sort of look at it as if say if you're on a scale of one to ten you know i'll get my emotional state up to you know an eight or a nine where I get really fired up while I'm doing my warm up. And then once I got to the sand, I'd bring it back down to about a five. So I, I was calm. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my thing was I'd rather my sort of words that I'd use was calm and confident. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that was pretty much what would happen once I was in the sand. It was just, you know, just bringing my breath back down, bringing the, you know, so I wasn't so like, you know, shallow breathing. It was going into deep breathing and then, and also just going through a few waves in my mind. And yeah, I I don't know. Some people thought that I might've been like, you know, going into crazy weird shit, but it was, it was pretty (laughs) much just, it was just going through, you know, bringing my breath back down and actually getting, 
calm and and just yeah visualizing a few waves i'm guessing that calm and confidence is opposed to like anxious or worried mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing even as an elite athlete at your level that before you would compete you would still feel that anxiousness or that worry or that fear might creep over you as it does and so to be able to have that you, you know you use the word centered is it to center you because when we center we either come down from a state like you spoke about or up from a state mm-hmm. so that centeredness away from did you get anxious and fearful and worried about yeah definitely comps? definitely you know especially when you go into places of consequences you know when you go to you know, a place like tahiti or, or pipeline and it's big and you're freaking out you know i like 2013 when it, I won my last world title. I pretty much woke up every morning at an event and thought I was going to lose. Yeah, every What made you think that? I don't know. I really don't know. I just, I don't know if I just wasn't confident in myself or or if it wasn't, you know, I didn't think I was as good as everyone else or... So it was more a comparison as opposed to you hadn't done the work because you had done the work. I had done the work. I had everything there. But it was just, I don't know, it would just be every day like... I'd, I'd just be like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it today. And yeah. then and then I'd go through my warm-up or, you know, my routine to to get to a place where I was ready for a heat and that confidence would just skyrocket. Mm. So it was just weird. It was just, as you said, it was for for that year it was coming coming from down and bringing myself up and then in years before it was I was probably yeah way way too excited and had to bring myself down but yeah especially with waves of consequences you you know you see these waves and you know, people think that we're we're crazy but a lot of the time we're just as frightened as everyone else but we just go into a point where we we just have to trust our skills and trust our preparation and the work that we've done in the past to get through that fear and frustration really i like that because a lot of people think that athletes and extreme athletes or people who excel in their area that they don't feel fear but reality is you get that fear but you know how to work through it yeah definitely you know i think a lot of athletes are really emotional to tell you the truth they are very superstitious very you know if things aren't going their way then they just blow a gasket or you know they they can lose confidence like that and they're down the dumps. They don't know how to pick themselves up. And, mm. and it can come from anywhere. It can come from people are either, you know, in their circle or it could come from just a random person they've never seen before in their life or will never see in themselves in their life and they just make one comment and that triggers them and they just their confidence just disappears. And so, it, it, yeah, we're... Athletes are pretty damn emotional. It's weird. <laughs> you mentioned there before about 2013 and Nam's got this clip of you. You were sitting on the beach doing your warm-up, rubbing your hands together, regulating, using your breath to regulate your mind and your body. <laughs> and it doesn't see it all in the clip, but there's a lot of people around. I believe there's about 10,000 people around, a ton of media close by. And then showing that little bit. And then he's also got a clip of him filming it himself and you can hear him all excited in the background. And I think it was you needed a 9.57 out of 10 mm-hmm. and there's about a minute and a half left on the clock and you you nailed it and you got it and won the world title off mm-hmm. that wave. I've watched those couple of clips of that he's put together. For me, 
I watched it dozens and dozens of times because for me it cements the fact that there's processes to put in place that work around that anchoring, like you said, into those states. And I think it's a really powerful, and I do it on a daily basis just to get me ready for a day. Yeah. Anchor into those emotional states. Yeah, look, I, I think I think for, for me, people, people sort of look at athletes and just think that, if they go to the gym and and do the you know do the gym and the, the work in the gym and then also you know for us jumping on surfboards or whatever then that's it that's all they have to do but i feel the most work where you get the most advantage on people is is your mind work and and your brain's just the muscle as as anything else so you've got to you got to be able to figure out what's real in your brain and what's not and only listen to the things that you you think are real and what you can control because if you start getting lost in the other side of the brain then you'll wig out and that takes time and effort especially in moments like you were talking about you know there would have been times in my career where I didn't have the brain capacity to deal with that and just crumble so yeah that's that sort of keeping that calmness and and that process took a long time you know I started doing it oh I think I was always fascinated by the mental side of sport rather than rather than the physical side you know I watched a lot of tennis and I can never figure out how they can play a five-hour match and just be so up for that long you know obviously they got endurance and stuff but just the way they can bring themselves back from the depths of no confidence to you know smashing someone it's just that side of it to me is truly truly that's what inspires me to to go and be better yeah Mm. and when you look at it from a warm-up perspective and you mentioned there about physical warm-up and then going into those states that we just talked about do you believe that that's an area of sport and particularly your sport of surfing that is is it does it happen enough or is it an area where performance can be really picked up if people work on their warm-up yeah yes and no everyone's just totally different you know I've got I've got mates like you know growing up with someone like Joel Parkinson it's like he's me and him exact opposites <laughs> we're total opposite he will jump out of bed and just wax up his board and paddle straight out and surf amazingly if he's happy yeah i'm totally opposite i've got to make sure everything's prepared i've got to make sure that you know i've ticked all my boxes before i get there and and it's it's a lot about figuring out what works best for you mm. and i think that's you know i think people just look at other athletes and just go oh well that works for him must work for me or like I I see it a lot with trainers and coaches and 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 this and that and they're like oh he's doing something amazing so I'm gonna go and use his trainer or Mm. oh he's he's doing something amazing I want to go and get in side with his coach and and then they don't get the results straight away so they're like they're on to the next person or Mm. the next person they just start filtering through and and to me that's just I think that's it's sad because there's there's coaches and trainers out there that will never see the light of day because the person that they're working with they haven't given them a chance yeah and for me in those areas was all about just personal connections and making sure that those people 
you know, I guess I was learning from them, not only on a, you know, day-to-day scale, but just the way that they went through life and stuff too. So Growing as a human, not yeah, just as an athlete. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's amazing, like, seeing where where Nam has come from. Like, you know, I could get in there any hour of any day with him and now it's like, oh, I've got to book him months in advance. It's, like, ah. <laughs> it's partly your fault yeah, why he's yeah. that busy. <laughs> which, which is fine, you know. I think that's really cool. But I think... But even with him, it's like, okay, you got to try it before you actually buy it. Mm. You know, you got to make sure that that's something that you're into. Otherwise, you know, you could just be fooling yourself. A lot of these skills that you've learned around the mind and, and you spoke there before about understanding what's real and what's not, but also emotional control. They've obviously helped you a lot in your personal life because you've you've experienced a lot of adversity and with the unfortunate loss of family members as well. And I know though that you were you were young when you lost your brother Sean. How how did you handle it back then when you didn't have this kind of knowledge and these skills? Yeah, look, I sort of look back at those time that time, and it was there were two things that were sort of going on. One was I was surrounded by amazing friends, and we talked a lot through it. But then also, you know, it, it, I still hate this to to each and every day is where you go to a funeral or you go and see someone and you know you might be going through a hard time they're like oh be strong and it's like what the what does that mean you know and 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 for me like everyone was telling me that like around that time and and so I didn't show any emotion I didn't show any you know like with my closest friends I did but everyone else you know people would be coming up and talking to me about it and i would just i would be blank i just have this brick wall up and it it took me years it took me about 10 years to to even look at that and investigate it and realize that i actually did have these walls up and um once i did realize that i was like oh god i've just <laughs> blanked excuse for swearing but i just blanked a whole lot of emotion out and yeah it was once I started breaking down those walls and stuff, I was okay with it. But you know, I it was a, it was a process to break down those walls again, and and being being able to trust people and be confident in them, you know, dealing with my crap, you know, to take that on. Mm. And so, yeah, look, it, it's it's not it's not an easy thing to go through, but. I think the one biggest biggest thing I learned through all that process was the more you talk about it, the more it eases the pain a bit. Like it still always hurts, but yeah, once you, you know, people get drunk or they, you know, they take drugs to to ease the pain that way, and all that does is just create more of a a storm to deal later. with that's going to mm-hmm. come and bite you in the bum later yeah. and i've heard you say before on a podcast that when that happened and when you were younger it for a little while you were sort of saying things like i'll never drive you know because it was a car accident and you know you didn't want to come out of your room and you didn't even want to surf for that first short period mm. and i can really relate to that because when my grandparents were murdered i i didn't want to turn on the tv and i refused to turn on the radio because I was worried about hearing a song that had the word shotgun in it yeah. or murder or seeing murder stories on TV. And I remember after a while I finally told my psychologist about it and she said, oh, 
so what's going to happen in a year's time when you still haven't turned on the TV or the radio? Mm. You know, and then sort of said to me, "Where's where, where? What will actually happen when you hear those words and see that? Yeah. How do you know if you don't experience it now? How to work through it? Yeah. And it goes to like you're saying that once you get people around you that can help you share that and and explain it and unpack the processes, it can really help. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and but I guess you know, I don't know how old you were at that time, but for for young people especially males when you you know like it was sort of like taboo to mm. to show emotion and stuff like that yeah so well how old were you i was 17 at the time mm. and so yeah it was just a you know that was when aussie macho man and mm. you know blue collar workers and stuff like that and so it was it was definitely a different time to to show that Absolutely. emotion and you know i guess in, in sort of like the era i was it'd be like oh you're soft grow up yeah <laughs> you know, like, and but yeah look i see it a lot more now where people are talking you know being more open about their feelings and stuff like that especially in the younger generation and and that's really cool that people actually recognizing that you know no one not everyone has the answers for everything mm. you know and the only way that you you learn those answers is by talking to people that have experienced or or also talking to people that have the tools to help you through that mm. and so if you try and just bottle it up it's just going to get really really bad and so unfortunately you've had to go through the process again in i think was it 2016 when 2015 yeah 2015 when your brother passed away and obviously uh, you're a lot older and mature at that stage was it these this knowledge and these processes that you go through then and the, this talking openly to help you through that adversity yeah that one yeah that one that one took it, it was a different it was totally different sort of pain it was yeah because i was so aware of what i was feeling and and mm. you know I, I wasn't i wasn't shy to let those feelings out this time and uh, yeah so it, it was it was a different sort of you know I, I grieving session you know I cried a lot and so yeah it was just but I knew when to look after myself and and give myself space and then I also knew when to ask people for help and knew when to reach out for you know guidance and stuff like that so yeah that one was very very different mm. and you've got a really close relationship with your mum <laughs> and you guys have obviously grown closer together through everything that you've been through and once again I can connect with that I've, I've been really close with my mum and it was her parents who were killed and yeah. I see that that special bond you guys obviously grow stick together and, and work well as a team and grow closer through those adversities yeah for sure for sure you know i guess you know obviously learning a lot through you know when, when sean passed away you know we all sort of looked after each other and and even just little things of just making sure that we let mum know that we land on airplanes and stuff like that you know that's that's something for her that sort of eases her anxiety and but yeah when she lost the second son it's like you know how much can you go through and mm. you know even my dad like my dad i never saw him show any signs of weakness before that and you know he just yeah just sort of floored him for a while and so yeah you it's it's like sometimes you just need to 
put your feelings aside just for enough just to help them get through, mm-hmm. you know. And and then, yeah, as I said, that's when you go back and you make sure that you give yourself time and space to heal as well. And speaking of other challenges in your life, and like I said, to you, to me, you are Mick, me mate, the master father, <laughs> not not Mick, the guy yeah. that got attacked by a shark. But and I know you've told this story a thousand times. But can you kind of take us to that moment of what it was like in the water when in in the surfing competition when a great white shark just pops up to say good day? Yeah, look, it was it was very different. It went from being you know super psyched for a heat and guy I was surfing against Julian Wilson we had actually been working together you know I was trying to just help mentor him a little bit through his career and and so for us to both meet in the final was like oh cool you know the stuff's working and so that was one thing and then and then it was and then yeah all of a sudden within you know blink of an eye everything just changed and it went from being you know, so zoned in on what was going on to being totally petrified to tell you the truth, you know, and just going from a being, as we were talking before about confidence and losing confidence so quick, that's exactly what happened. I was so confident in myself and that. And then as soon as this shark happened, it was like my confidence just disappeared. I felt so insignificant against that, that beast. Like it it was doing whatever it wanted to and I was just in the way and I was just I was a passenger it was first time I've actually sort of been a passenger and yeah just felt like I was had no control whatsoever you know I got to a point where you know after the the first part of it when everyone saw and then swimming away I was like all right I'm either gonna get eaten without a fight and lose legs or whatever, or you're going to turn around and you're going to go down fighting. So and that actually went through your yeah, mind. Yep. Yeah, and so I was trying to like get myself up above the water as high as I possibly could so if I could see it coming up and I could I had my fist cocked and I was ready. I was ready. And I was like, I'm either, <laughs> yeah, as I said, I'm either going to die with a fight or or I'm going to get out of this somehow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just speaking to people about that sort of fight or flight mode. Yeah, it was definitely went straight into fight. It was, yeah, wild, wild. And you you did fight. You punched the shark yeah. to yeah, yourself? Was, and- yeah, I was just, to tell you the truth, it wasn't like, you know, people might think that I picked it up by its neck and punched <laughs> it in the nose, but what really happened, it when it came... From, from the footage, what you watch, you see it It hit me and knocks me off my board and then the wave comes up. It's when the wave came up, it came and bounced off me and was just going for my board and it bounced me and I was just like punching in the ribs. I did absolutely nothing to it. it just, <laughs> as I said, uh, it was doing its own thing. And yeah, it was just, yeah, it was it was so powerful. I wish I never said I punched it. <laughs> I wish I just paddled it. But, uh, but in that moment, you said before that you're either going to fight or, you know, die. Yeah. Like, did you think about Did it cross your oh, mind? 100%. Those, yeah. You thought yeah. you might die here. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, when people say that they have, you know, their whole life flushed before their eyes, that didn't happen. It was just, yeah, I was just, I was ready. You know, mm. didn't think about anything else except making sure that if that thing was coming, I was I was ready to 
get either get out of the way or or try and do my best to even stir it or yeah, I don't know what I was going to do, really. And speaking about emotions before, like seeing the footage afterwards, it took you a while. I think it was once you played the footage back before you were – maybe your adrenaline had dropped and you dropped out of that fight or flight mode before you just felt – fuck, maybe, was it when you saw your friends on the beach and you were – Yeah, look, it was – because by the time we got, you know, on the boats and then back to the cars, like me and Jules were just sort of just freaking out. Like we didn't know and like I didn't think – when I first like felt it or whatever, I didn't think it was that big of a shark, and and so I was like, Whoa, that was pretty hectic. And then once I saw the footage, I was just like, oh my, like it was a big, it was big. And then you know, you see my mates and and stuff like that, and just seeing how shaken they were, that's what sort of freaked me out at the start. And then I actually, you know, got through. The quick bit of media and stuff like that and and it wasn't until I saw one of my mate's wives and it was sort of like the first motherly figure that I'd seen and when I saw her that's when everything just went and I nearly fell like nearly fainted like just it all just finally just hit you know the adrenaline kicked out and and yeah and then yeah I got home somehow back to the place and then that night was sort of fun, actually. <laughs> Did you celebrate life that yeah. night? <laughs> it was like going to your own way. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So it was like all of a sudden it would be like everyone would be there laughing and this and that and then all of a sudden everyone would be crying and then laughing again. It was so <laughs> weird. But it was, it was a fun party. <laughs> We're talking about conquering fear. You're, you then had to not just turn around and get back in the surf again, but you had to go back there. It was at the following year following year i went back yeah surfed and not just surfed but surfed bloody well and then you know you and julian ended up against each other again yeah as a turn of fate would have it yeah how did it feel to get back there and and be having to get back in the water yeah look it it sort of had two sort of processes of it really the first one was once i got home and and sort of just started decompressing i was having nightmares just early in the morning and that's when I'd get most freaked out. Like just before I woke up, I would it would just freak me out. And nightmares of the shark. Yeah, yeah. And was it pretty real? Like it was it the same super, thing happening? Super again? real. Yeah, yeah. And and you know I'd wake up just shaking and sweating and and then that sort of lasted about ten days until I got back out in the water. Mm. And like even first surf, I went back and I was doing this. 60 minutes wanted to see my first ever surf or whatever and I was like oh whatever and they took me to this spot I would never surf and it'd been raining and my mate was on a jet ski and and sure enough saw a fin just coming through the wave and I was like okay and I was fine I was fine I just jumped on the back of the ski didn't think about it like didn't freak out or anything like that and yeah and then saw plenty of sharks you know the next three events right and i was like okay whatever like totally fine and then when i went back there was so much media build up Mm. that for me it was you know everywhere you went like it's like everywhere everyone be asking about asking about it's like can I just have a day off of not talking about this (laughs) and so i wanted to go early i wanted to go away from 
media. I wanted to go just and just surf by myself. And we got there to J Bay and we were like, oh, is this going to, we're just going to get out there, get it over and done with and just move on. And sure enough, get there and it's dead flat <laughs> for the whole day. I was like, no, I just want to get this done. And me and I had two mates in the house and, and they were getting more nervous about it than me. And I was just like, oh, no, don't do this. You're freaking me out. So I just ran out of the house and just jumped in the water. And, <laughs> and you know, when I first jumped in, it was, you know, it was a bit eerie. But then, you know, I caught two waves. It was fine. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. But... I have been back and since and, you know, there's been surfs where I didn't feel right. And in the past I would stay out where this time I was like, no, nah, I'm going straight in. Like mm. I'm just, something doesn't feel right so I'm out of here, you know. And then also had, you know, been in heats again where the sharks come up the points again and stuff like that. And so you see them that often? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you see them all the time. And, and that was one thing that after the, after the encounter was, like, I'm out in the water now, I see everything. Like, I see a stingray jump, I see fish jump, I mm. see, you know, shadows and this and that. And, yeah, look, it's sort of... I sort of like it because I get to see all Mother Nature's beauty now. But, yeah, at first I couldn't figure it out. I was like, am I just overthinking things? Or And also, too, the first sort of month or whatever, if I heard a splash behind me in the water, I would freak out. Yeah, understandably. Yeah, but... Yeah, sort of realised that that wasn't real, so I got over it. <laughs> After the shark attack and going through that, did it change your perspective on life? Did it change anything that you did, apart from changing the colour of the bottom of your board? Yeah. Yes and no. Like, I felt like I was doing the right things in, in for me, in my mm-hmm. life anyway. The only thing that sort of changed was when I would, like, hug family members or friends or whatever, I would make sure they knew I was there mm. and it wasn't a, a conscious thing and I only picked it up later because someone's like you hugged too hard and I'm like okay sorry <laughs> but it was just yeah it was just that was me just letting them know that I was there mm. but other than that not really it was just more like it's almost sort of cemented some of the things that were going through my head because I'd already thought about retirement before that mm. and so it sort of cemented all right if you don't, if you keep going down this path and not following what you really want to do, then you're going to question yourself a lot. So it sort of gave me a little bit of confidence to go and chase a different dream. Mm, yeah. Understandable. You continued on with your surfing and you went back in competitively as we just spoke about, but you, and then you made the decision and you've now retired from professional surfing, obviously still doing a lot of surfing, but. I've been working with athletes my whole career and I always find it really interesting to see different transitions and some athletes do it really well and some athletes really struggle. Mm -hmm. How has your transition been and then also, because it's kind of still early days and it might be still feeling a bit of fun, like you don't have all those commitments of the tour and things like that, but there's obviously elements that you would miss. But how do you set yourself up now to attain fulfilment in life yeah look it, it to be really honest that that first sort of six months it's it's a really weird zone to be in you know i i didn't want to do anything physical did you put on five kilos again? oh i think i put on more <laughs> and it was it was more i just did not commit to anything yeah but in saying that 
I wanted to commit to everything, everything that I couldn't do while I was on tour, I mm. wanted to go and do. Like what? Like travel with mates? Travel with mates, different events that you can never get to. Yeah. Like if October someone was having, Yeah. <laughs> Oktoberfest, if your mate's just having a beer down the road, yeah, I'll come, you know. Yeah. Like, and I found myself, I got to a point where I was just exhausted. And so I had to, yeah. And then, yeah, slowly just sort of transitioned into a, place of getting back to looking after me again and making sure that I'm all good but yeah I I still try not to commit to anything Um, (laughs) but my whole goalposts were changing while I was on tour anyway and so I started thinking about just doing trips and you know going to see different places and things that I couldn't do on tour for two reasons. One was that I mentally wouldn't be there. Mm. I'd always be thinking about the tour. And and two, I just didn't have the time. So now it's like I'm mentally there. And then, yeah, easy to just go on trips and stuff like that. But I guess also too, I'm like one of the lucky ones where my job, you know, I get paid to actually go on these trips. So, yeah. And is that for a long time? Do you see yourself doing that for a long time, like continually surfing and doing these kind of trips and the search? And I'd love to, but, you know, in my own head, it's probably like two to three years of chasing this. Like, I don't know what's going to happen after that. I don't want to plan too far down the line. And, yeah, just sort of just take it pretty much each month as it goes, really. But also, too, just having different interests in different areas, you know, business and also just sort of just I guess also just the biggest thing for me is just making sure that if there are waves being so fit that I don't drown right (laughs) (laughs) so that's what keeps you physically active to to not drown now (laughs) yeah like this year this year you know we're only midway through February or whatever but I haven't surfed so much in years yeah I've just been really enjoying it brilliant yeah which is cool so yeah and i haven't got any agenda i'm just going surfing really nice yeah i was listening to lane speak to my mate kurt fernley the other yeah, day yeah. actually and she was saying the same thing that she's never enjoyed surfing more than what she does now yeah right. she's still competing though <laughs> yeah well that, <laughs> she's in the masters so i guess yeah. that's still bringing out that aspect mm. but kurt was saying some interesting things around um and he said this to me before that he's just saying yes to a lot of things mm-hmm. Now that he's retired from Paralympic sport, he's still doing some marathons, but all these gigs and opportunities that come up and he's just saying yes out of fear of, well, shit, if I don't say yes now, maybe they won't be there. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have that kind of sense. I guess there before too, you mentioned business and you sort of dabbled in. Look, I think think there's there's time and a place for those sort of things. Mm. You know, as I said, I'm still enjoying travelling around and surfing if, if... if I feel like oh, I need to go and do these things, then maybe I, maybe I'm not surfing much. <laughs> so, but yeah, look, I, I think also too when you retire, people know that you're available, and so you actually become busier, and that fear of sort of, I guess, not taking up those opportunities or whatever, you sort of, it's it's almost like your ego in a way of like, well, you're not getting seen anymore, or you're not in that in that realm anymore so maybe you need to go and put yourself there like mm. yeah look i'm i'm happy to sit in this house and and disappear i'm, I'm totally fine with it <laughs> i don't really care <laughs> understandable mm. too what's your advice to 
young surfers these days in terms of knowing that there's so many elements and the young surfers that might just want it all when we're in a, a an era of whether it's sport and surfing or not where we there's a lot of things that come really easy and you know there's instagram fame for people and, mm-hmm. and kids and athletes and things like that what's your advice to young surfers who want to be the best surfer work hard and just enjoy what you're doing you know i guess it, it is a different world now that we live in with social media and you know even just for for kids growing up like surfing sort of become the new the new sort of get your kid to be good surfer and they become rich you know it, mm. it's like your tennis or your soccer or and i hate that <laughs> like you you go down the go down the beach and there's like all these mums and dads like quitting work it's like just let them be kids and let them have fun and and do that and 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 you know they're always going to need your help and support them when they need but i think you know when up until they're at least like 15 or whatever just drop them off the beach and let them be kids not every parent's like that but i just see it so much and sort of I don't know, I get worried about it. But then also for the for the kids themselves, it's just you gotta work hard. Nothing comes easy. You know, you mm-hmm. might have one good Instagram post, then you might not have one. And and that's that's exactly what sports is like. It's like if you don't work hard, you're not gonna get the results. Mm-hmm. And so um have fun while you're doing it though, and be open to learning and be open to yeah, trying new things. But yeah, you just got to work hard i love it that instagram post isn't going to win him a heat or a final is it no way <laughs> judges don't give a shit about it <laughs> i work with a school on the coast here called Kui. yep and it's a group of only about 20 kids each year and matt barber's brought me in mm-hmm. and Nam's done stuff with yep. him over the years and i really like it because matt's philosophy around that school is it's for for kids who you know might have had trouble in the main schooling system they obviously know education is important but matt's getting these kids together but he's really big on linking their physical, mental and emotional capacities and that's why I'm coming in doing yeah, a lot cool. of stuff and, and to see them be encouraged to be better community members, to be better people holistically and on top of that, let's go and be better surfers as well. So teaching all the elements of that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I think as humans we hold sports people in maybe too high of a regard, you know. A lot of really good sports people come from, you know, bad upbringings or broken homes or stuff like that and then all of a sudden they become great at their sport and all of a sudden they're meant to be these role models and they probably haven't had the support or the training and and that's where you see a lot of sports people just stuff up so Mm -hmm. to hear stuff like that is is really awesome and you know just to give these kids like even if they don't go on to be super successful at least they've got the you know the skills to yeah as you say be good community members and stuff like that because you know i didn't get taught that (laughs) (laughs) mate one of my top core values is giving and i give all my guests a gift uh, for coming onto the podcast and for you i've got 
we've created these charity teas a few years ago and teamed up with some Paralympic athletes and Olympians and they chose charities that were close to their heart and oh, cool. we worked with them and made the design and we do sell all the teas and 100% of the profits go to charity. So I've got a shirt for you. You're a bit bigger than me. You were large. large yeah, yeah, mate. I've got Massive. you a large. There you go. <laughs> thank you I've very much. I've also got one for your girlfriend, Bree. Oh, thank you very been much. been coaching Cheers. a bit lately. So you can. So awesome. thank you for your time and effort with that, mate. No worries. Thank you. Now, before we wrap up, do you have anything that you want to ask me? Um, no, nah, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> do it offline. <laughs> yeah. All good, mate. Thank you so no much worries. for your time. You're... You're a genuine, humble legend and your impact in the world and in communities goes far beyond your sport and I think you're inspiring generations through your your way of approaching life and your attitude to, to always moving forward and not being stuck. Keep shining your humble and impactful light to the world, my man. Cheers, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. There he is, legends. A bloke who's been on top of the world and rip back to reality and the depths of adversity many times but displays a humble-hearted approach to his existence. If you want to follow Mick online and check out his crazy adventures, you can find him on Instagram at mfanno or simply Google and YouTube Mick Fanning to watch it all. Don't forget to check out how you can optimize your health and well-being in our Gut Health and Gut Brain Connection online program at yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash gut health. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.